Guys, one of my favorite quotes from a book that I read is don't let someone who quit on their plan A give you advice on what to do with yours. Now, today we're going to listen to a story of an individual who is still continuing on in their journey with their plan A. This interview is going to be perfect for any any athlete that's going through something right now. Maybe you, you've gone through some hardships. You might not have made the team or you might not see what the future holds. You have these aspirations, but you're not sure how you're going to get there. Listen to this interview and you'll see a story of someone who took advantage of literally every single opportunity, was resourceful, figured out a way to get in front of people, to, get, to continue to work on his craft, right? To continue to get his name out there as he continues on with his journey and his plan A. You don't want to miss this episode of The Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game time! If you're sick of the mainstream sports outlets, well, so was I. So I started my own show. I'm Shane Larson, and this is The Game Time Guru. It's different than other talk shows. I'm providing a panoramic view on sports so you can see them through a different lens. So buckle up, and let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome out to The Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson, excited to be here with you this week with another amazing interview. And I, I want to first give a shout out to all the listeners and all the supporters as we've now passed over 100 reviews on the podcast. We've passed over 49,000 downloads on the show. You guys have been so supportive from the very beginning, and I truly appreciate it as this show continues to grow and the, the, the brand continues to build. Now, today on the show, we're bringing on a guy who has one heck of a story and it's still going. The journey still continues on. Now, this guy, I had a class with him at Boise State University. Um, I've been following his career because he played at Boise State University, and uh, now he continues on. We're going to get a little bit of information as to what his uh, journey has been like before college, during college, and then obviously his post-collegiate career, which included a stint in the, in the XFL. So I'm going to welcome on Tyler Rasa, the former kicker from Boise State University. Tyler, thank you so much for joining the show. Yeah, no, appreciate you. Thanks for having me on, man. Excited. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you joining us. Now, Tyler, we want to get to know you a little bit better. I mean, for the ones who are here in the Treasure Valley of Idaho, they probably understand who you are as far as being a kicker, right? They know that you were a kicker for Boise State and and uh, and whatnot. And so they probably remember a little bit of, of, of your career, but let's kind of back it up a little ways. I like to get to know the, the mm -hmm. athletes outside of just where we knew them from here. Let's get to know yeah. Where, who, you're, who you are, where you're from, and, you know, kind of give a little bit of your sports background when you got into football, especially as a kicker. Yeah. Uh, so I'm from Temecula, California, which for some who don't know, it's Southern California, about an hour north of San Diego. And pretty much growing up, man, I was, I was all gung-ho on baseball. Uh, thought I was going to go to college for baseball. I had more baseball offers than I did football. And didn't really get – fully into football and kicking until probably about my sophomore year of high school um, when I kind of figured out that, you know, that's something that I just – it was just something that I was good at and didn't really start taking it serious until then and, and got thrown into varsity my junior – or my sophomore year also. And, you know, first game, hit a game winner, the first – my first varsity game. And so kind of from there I was just like, all right, like, you know, this could possibly be a road I can go down or like, or maybe, you know, I can play football and baseball at the same time. And it was kind of up in the air. Um, and that was, yeah, that was kind of when I took off with it. The sophomore year of high school is when I figured out that this could, this could definitely be a calling. 
You know, it's interesting to hear that because like it wasn't always like it wasn't something that you were always telling yourself since a little kid, like I'm going to be a kicker, right? Like it was, it came no. you started to realize there was something there. You had something there. And then yeah. we get to the, we get to the uh, whole Boise State thing. Now, when did Boise State send you some offers and when did you realize you wanted to go play on the blue? Because let's be real here. Like I've had, you know, I, I know him very well. I graduated with, you know, I, I played alongside Kyle Brotsman all through middle school and high school. So I know Kyle very well. I've had him on my show telling his story. <laughs> Uh, I know Dan Goodale really well because I play basketball with him still to this day. Yeah. There's some kickers that have had some, you know, uh, we'll just say historic moments, not necessarily always for the good and some for the good yeah. at Boise State. So there, the history of kickers in, in recent times in the last decade is kind of a touchy subject at Boise State. So when did you, one, get the offer from Boise State and decide you wanted to go there? And did you have any pressure on your shoulders knowing that you were going to be playing for Boise State with, you know, what the kickers were known for there in that in the last decade? Yeah, I mean, first, I mean, Kyle and Dan know them obviously really well. Dan, I was behind two years when I was at Boise State. Both great guys, both good teachers as well when it came to it. And both, even when Kyle wasn't there, when Dan wasn't there, both um, taught me a bunch. So uh, a lot of respect for those guys. Love those guys. Uh, but I didn't start getting really attention until I went to uh, junior college um, at a high school I mean, I, I feel like I had a thousand walk-on offers. I think it was like 30, like 30 walk-on offers wherever I wanted to go really. But, um, I didn't want to put my parents in that hole. And I felt like for myself, I could get a scholarship. And so kind of towards the end of, uh, my senior year of high school, I signed with university of Nevada at Reno. And that was where. I um, ended up going from beginning of June until the end of July. And so I get there, go through summer camp, go through everything there, take a couple classes. And at the end of summer camp, that was where um, our, the president of the school pulled me and about three other freshmen in and said, hey, you know, we screwed up. We over-admitted too many people into the school. You know, we got we to gotta cut some people out, and you guys didn't meet the new criteria. So from there, you know, thinking I was going to play football this year at Nevada, competing for a starting spot, I ended up going to a junior college. Um, and the beginning of when I was in junior college, it was super dry. I started doing really well. I think I came out the gates, you know, pretty hot, like 9 for 9, 10 for 10. And – get into our seventh game. Um, and I was kind of hearing from Boise state around game three or four, but no, you know, no offers. And so, you know, week three through seven, you know, I'm talking to them and I'm just like, I'm almost about to ask them like, Hey, I keep talking to you guys. Why haven't you offered or anything like that? And then finally game seven go out and I hit a game winner in overtime. And then that was when coach Peterson uh, called me and was like, Hey, you know, Obviously, we've been talking to you for a while and everything like that. You know, let's, you know, we're going to do this. You know, offer me a scholarship, offered me on a Friday and Saturday I committed. You know, I didn't, I didn't even go to Boise State yet, but I knew enough from a couple other people that have lived there. And I knew Boise, you know what, they, they were the place to be and they were the first to give me an offer. I believe in them. They've been talking to me, no other school. And so what's funny is Coach Peterson called me Sunday. He goes, hey, you know, you're going to have teams show up to your doorstep. 
to your school something come Monday. They don't know who you are or anything like that, but they just know Boise State offered you. I was like, Coach, I don't think you know what you're talking about, man. I haven't heard from any school. And he's like, all right. He's like, just call me Monday night. And I was like, okay, like, sounds good. Show up to school Monday morning, and there's about 14, 13, 14 college teams there coming to offer me. You know, different schools from uh, – you had Pac-12, AAC. Uh, I think there's one ACC school, Big 12. And I was just like, I don't know who these people are, but I was just – I just told my special teams coach, I was like, Coach, I, I'm committed to Boise State. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to even talk to them because I don't want to really lose the scholarship. Like, you know, and Boise is just – it's kind of – it almost just seemed like a perfect place for me because, you know, Dan was the only kicker on the roster at the time. And I was like, you know, I have a good chance to go in and compete for a spot with all these other schools. I mean, they have four or five different kickers on the roster. I may even never even see the field um, if something were to go, you know, not my way. And, you know, that was kind of where I just let it play. I didn't even talk to any other school. And that was kind of how I ended up at Boise State. Man, that's actually a journey in and of itself, man. I, I really yeah. love that. Like, what JUCO did you go to? Do you mind letting us know? Riverside City College okay. in California. Okay, so this is interesting. So as of like the last, what, like four or five years, really, like the junior college football has kind of been more spotlighted due to Netflix's Last Chance U series that's been kind of pulling out. So more people yeah. are starting to see kind of what the junior college route is. What Do you think that that's an accurate depiction of what the junior college life was like, or what's your experience there? No, not at all. If you, I mean, that was kind of like a junior college on steroids. Like if I were to go live that life, like that would have been – a lot better than the junior college, like most, especially junior college in California, like all the junior colleges in California, they, you know, we all kind of laughed at that. Like we text each other when it was coming out like that is not what junior college is, um, especially in California because California, they always, I will say California always has the best JUCOs in America. I mean, you can, between Riverside, Mount Sac, um, uh, Butte in Northern California that, I mean, all those, uh, Aaron Rodgers went to Butte and you know, those, those junior colleges, I mean, it's, it's a lot different. It's, it's not like a, a regular college life. Like you don't put, get put in dorms. A lot of our guys that were on my junior college team, either, you know, they lived in a one bedroom apartment with four other guys or, you know, people are crowd, um, couch surfing. We had guys from out of state that, came to California and the same thing they're couch surfing some guys are even sleeping in their cars I mean if they were to highlight California juke those I think that would really open up people's eyes to like okay we got a fun junior colleges not just high school and college like regular colleges universities because um, especially the ones the junior colleges in, in California and Riverside like weight rooms um, I think every single weight we had was rusted over. I mean, I think there was, we were working out in like a closet. Um, our locker room was wide open to where when we were at practice. Sometimes you had guys coming in and people taking stuff out of our lockers. I mean, it was um, a completely different experience than what I thought, but it was something that it, it built me into a whole different person from just those experiences and self. But the junior college in California is a whole lot different than what it was on Last Chance U. 
Man, super interesting insight there too. And I'm glad you shared that with us because that's what we want to hear. We want to hear the real stuff, man. And just kind yeah. of see the, the raw details. So that's super interesting to hear from someone like yourself that, that lived it and, and you yeah. were part of that experience. Now you get to Boise State. One question that I do have here about your collegiate experience is people talk about the JUCO game compared to the, the D1 game, even like if they're at a smaller, you know, a smaller college from a smaller mm -hmm. conference, just the speed of the game, you know, going from high school to the collegiate level. Sometimes the speed of the game is a lot different for a lot of players. Kicking is a specialty, right? Like it's a, it's mm -hmm. a but did you notice any difference on the, from that aspect from, or was kicking just kicking? You just had to eliminate the rest of the, the stuff on the outside, such as the crowd and the speed of the defenders and, and everyone else. Like is kicking just kicking regardless of where you're at or was there some differences? Yeah. I mean, kicking is always kicking. It's, it's kind of once you, you just have to adjust to your environment, obviously from junior high school and junior college to um, Boise State, the crowd is going to be a difference. But once, I mean, there's, you have to adjust in the speed. The speed is a little different too, because from high school, you know, you can get away with your get off time being around like one four or something because, um, you know, guys aren't that fast. You, when you get to junior college, you got to kind of speed it up a little bit depending on who you're playing and, you know, just the speed around you. But in, at Boise State, we had to be, you know, one, two, one, two, five, get off time, which is, I mean, from snap to hold the kick, getting it off in one second, 1.25 seconds. Um, and so that was kind of a little bit of a difference there, something to adjust to. The crowds obviously is a little bit, you know, it's because you can't pay attention to it. Once you start paying attention to it, that's when everything kind of, um, just goes everywhere and you know the focus just isn't there and you see some weird things from people um and then three i think um it's just kind of just another kind of pressure because you know people are actually watching on tv also it's not just people in the crowd um you have people watching on tv you have your teammates and then your coaches are kind of it's it, their jobs are on the line with what you're doing as well so there's you know just kind of a whole another element to it um but at the end of the day if if you can zero those things out and kind of clear your head on what's going on and just stick to kicking, being kicking, there's not a whole lot of adjustments. Man, it's super interesting. And now, like, what I've always kind of thought, just knowing kickers in my life, like I mentioned Kyle Brotsman earlier, like I've grown up with him my whole entire life. Yeah. It's kind of like knowing these people and just knowing your guys is like the, the importance of that. What you just mentioned right there, these outside pressures, these what we call invisible pressures, but there's just all these mm -hmm. things that come across that people don't really realize. Un, uh, like this is the, the honest truth. There's a quarterback that has to really like deal with the mental side of things, but then yeah. kickers and quarterbacks really do have to handle some of the similar pressures that people don't really realize. They're like, Oh, they're just a kicker. No, that's not true. You've got a lot of pressures outside of you. Quarterbacks and, and kickers, in my opinion, are the two main positions in, in football that really have to like work on their mental game in that aspect to be mm -hmm. able to zero those things out. Is there any tricks or anything that you've learned to help you kind of focus in Tyler? Like when you, when you're kicking the ball and you're dealing with those invisible pressures, so to speak, they're not necessarily invisible, but like you mentioned those, those different pressures that you mentioned before. Yeah. I mean, a lot with kicking, I always say is about 70% mental, 30% physical. Um, you have guys that can send some balls to the moon. And as soon as they get in the game, it's, you're just like, you're a whole different kicker than what you are in a game. Like, what are you doing here? You have a practice all American. Um, but it's kind of, I mean, really it's, you always have, for me, it's always been like a pre-snap 
routine that I want to do the same thing every single time. And then once I get to that spot where I'm comfortable after, you know, three steps back, two steps over, once I get to that spot, I want it. Once I'm there, I kind of just zero out. Like, I don't, I don't want to think about anything. I just want to have muscle memory take over from what I've practiced, you know, a million times before and not think or look at anything. And I had to learn that early because my first practice at Boise State um, didn't, you know, trying to figure out who guys are, you know, didn't know a whole lot of guys on the team yet, just trying to figure out names. You know, you have Demarcus Lawrence, who's right in the middle, who's screaming at me. And I'm just like looking at him like, this is one of the biggest guys I've ever seen screaming at me right now. Like, all right, here we go. And actually, I, I, I made the first one and he came up to me and he hit me on the helmet. He was like, you know, good job, whatever. I think I was concussed after that. Um, but it was, no, it was, it was really good. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely, some guys are a little different. Some guys, they want to think about different things as they're approaching stuff like that. For me, once I get to my, my second step, um, and I'm, I get ready. I I just want to zero out man. I just want to let muscle memory take over. And it's one of those things where as soon as I get to that spot and I say yes to my holder, I, it's almost like a blackout period for me where I, just don't remember until I see the ball in the air. Totally, man. Oh, it's so interesting. Like I've been studying up on this. It's a book called it takes what it takes by Trevor Moad and Trevor is uh, Russell Wilson's mental consultant coach. He works with mm -hmm. different uh, programs such as Alabama, Florida state, Georgia on the whole importance of neutral thinking. And he teaches like Russell Wilson, the importance of like, uh, for example, like focusing on the now understanding that mm -hmm. is what it is. If you made a mis mistake through an interception, okay acknowledge that but you truly can only focus on the now and not focus on the yeah. future either i think it's a similar thing for you as i guess I, uh, everything you just said right there i mean i mean you're going to make field goals you're going to miss field goals there's going to be a lot of oh, yeah. on there but you've got to kind of like zero in and just hone in on that one moment now at boise state since since i am a boise state alum and, and I, i've got a lot of friends that are too i mean i've been going to boise state games since i was six years old um and just born here in, in the in the treasure valley What's, let's just say, what's your top three memories at Boise State? Maybe the top three games or just top three memories that you have. Um, I'm not sure if that includes your infamous uh, self high five that's been all over the media. I mean, it went viral. That was awesome. Sports Center, yeah. everything. And I loved how you owned it. Like you've owned that and like used it. I love it. Just like, okay, yeah. and just go. So what was your top three moments at Boise State? Um, My first one would probably be when we won uh, the Fiesta Bowl in 2014. Uh, I would put the Fiesta Bowl and Mount West Championship in the same one in 2014. Um, definitely one of my favorite. And number two would be kicking my first PAT. And that was actually that 2014 year. It was against Wyoming. And that kick, it started like blizzarding during the game. Um, and it was in the fourth quarter. We're up by 60 or something. And that was when they're like, Hey, you can go kick a PAT if you want. I was like, Oh heck yeah, I do. And so I'll go out there and, you know, I look up at the field goal for a PAT and I get snow just all in my face. I was like, all right, I'm just going to kick it straight. Um, something that I always remember some, you know, just super cool for me. And then a third one would probably be, um, if I had to choose, I mean, there's, there's a lot of thirds. The self high five is always funny. Um, 
I mean, it was one thing. It was just we always did stuff like that on the sideline. Um, I think that's my third would probably be all the stuff that us specialists did on the sidelines, not even during the game, just because there were so many different games that we came up with that um, we did just stuff to just stay busy because sometimes those practices go forever. And so we just had to come up with different unique ways, one, to stay busy, and so we'd look busy. And just the different kind of stuff that we had, it was that was almost kind of one of my favorite parts of the day was just going to practice because we would do stuff in the beginning. And then sometimes we would have about an hour and a half of just doing whatever. And, you know, it's just, it's just a getaway. It's a getaway from, you know, having school and sometimes from life. And it's just us on the field, just guys being dudes. So that was, that was kind of, that's always like a, a third memory right there. You can say. Totally, man. I can imagine. That's so awesome. And there's like a brotherhood that goes along with all that. And there's memories I'm sure you'll never forget that go, go along with that. Like I think back to my sports days, even in high school, man, just like practices in general, certain parts of practices and we still reminisce about them. So I can totally see that. Yeah. Tyler, you took this route, you know, college ends and it didn't seem like you got an NFL offer, but you still had this goal to continue Mm -hmm. picking and, and make this into your career. And this is why I've always, this is what I want the listeners to pay attention to now. This is where we get into the gold. You've always had this goal of like going through this journey and still working your way through it. And I have always respected that because I believe that there are, there, there are various routes to go. Um, not everybody, not, especially kickers, not every kicker just gets that one that they tip, rarely don't do they get drafted. And, and yeah. two, I mean, it's, once you do, it's, you got to kind of earn your stripes and, and stuff. So it's hard to make it into the league, but there are now opportunities out there to get you more exposure. Um, let's talk about that because Earlier about it, about I think it was two years ago now. I can't even remember now when the spring league had kind of first just come around. I actually interviewed a guy named Ezra Levine. Now Ezra was the COO of the spring league, and and I remember like just seeing your name pop up every once in a while, like, and I'm like, oh, Tyler's still going after it, man. So let's talk about yeah. post college and when you decided, like, how you decided to continue on with your career, and when you decided, okay, this is the route I need to take, and let's talk about kind of the steps you took. Uh, in that, those first years, like that first little bit after college ended. Yeah. Um, so my junior year was the year where I was just like, all right, like I can, I can do this thing. Had a big year. Um, senior year, we had like a top 10 scoring offense. So we just didn't kick a whole lot, um, which was kind of a bummer, but you know, coming post college, you know, that was when I kind of started going to seeing a couple kicking coaches kind of making my way around and started kicking with some of these NFL guys, started meeting different guys. And it was when I was kicking with these NFL guys where I'm just like, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm right there. Like, um, obviously we just didn't kick a lot this senior year, but he's, I just felt like I was just like, I'm right there. I was like, and it's, you know, this is something that, you know, became a dream of mine come sophomore year of high school. You know, it'd be something cool to one, not only do, but you know, I can be able to provide, provide for my whole family. I can give to wherever I want to give. I can give back to my high school, my junior college. I can make life for people like in my junior college. Like if they want to work out, do whatever, like I can make life for them so much easier. And that was kind of one of the things that went through my head was I can help a lot of people out if I make it this big. And from there, I knew that I wanted to do that and I can, I can get there. And so you know, my first year out of college, I didn't have anything. And I was a little upset because I have the stats. 
you know, different guys in the NFL. I have stats that are better than I kicked in front of a couple different scouts uh, at Boise State that really liked me that, and, you know, I talked to a couple teams post, um, you know, when I was done right before the draft. And then I even kicked for uh, three CFL teams who I thought they were going to sign me. And then, you know, they had to choose between basically going an American kicker or a Canadian kicker and then choosing another American for CFL. You have, you can only have so many Americans. Um, so they don't like to waste it on, you know, American specialists unless, you know, post NFL guy or something like that. But uh, so thought I was going to go there. It didn't happen. Well, the second year that was when the spring league came around and I was like, you know what, this is about the only spring thing that's here. And I was like, it's, you know, I, this is where I can get some film and go out. And I did about as well as I could, you know, it was very well run, um, a super good experience. I met a lot of good guys out there like Johnny Menzel. He was one guy that, you know, we, we talked about Whataburger and in and out the comparisons and all that for about an hour. Um, but did about as well as I could. I think I ended up finishing like 34 for 35 or, um, 33 for 35 or something like that. And had a lot of good film. And from there, that was where I got, um, the Cleveland Browns, you know, I had a workout with them and I did really well. thought I won that and I just didn't have experience. And with the NFL, if you don't have experience and it's mid season, it's, you know, unless you do something crazy drastic, they're probably not going to sign you. But it was, you know, I had my name out there, which was, which was huge. And from there, you know, there was always conversations with teams, everything like that. Um, but just nothing arose. And we go into, after that, I went into arena. I was like, oh, let's go play arena football. You know, it's again, it's professional film. So go to arena football from the spring league and did really well there also. Um, you know, we start going, come the end of the season. I was, you know, one of the top kickers in there and I signed with the AAF and go through, you know, training camp with the AAF team and kind of, I mean, did about as well as I could just, I just think they just wanted, they had a guy in mind who was signed with an NFL team and they ended up just wanting, he got released and they went with him. I think it was already a predetermined type thing, but you know, something that I couldn't control. I did about as well as I could there and they went a different direction. So I got cut from the AAF, um, which was a bummer, but you know, just kept going forward. As soon as I got cut, that was when um, I worked out with uh, Chicago and Chicago Again, did about as well as I could there. Just they signed Chris Blewett, who he, I mean, he had probably one of the best days I've ever seen with a kicker. I mean, the, he, it was ridiculous. And he's a good friend of mine. Um, but, you know, had as about as good as a day as I could there. Nothing happened. Went and played arena football again. Uh, played another season and then came back and had an XFL workout for the showcase. That was when they were kind of getting around. And when the XFL was going, I actually worked out with another CFL team before that. Um, again, did as about as well as I could. Same thing. They just didn't have um, the American space to just sign a kicker. Um, so XFL showcase comes around, did well, just didn't hear anything. And the draft came around with the XFL 
didn't get my name called. All right, you know, I, I was still talking to, like, two of the teams, and I almost thought, like, all right, like, I'm not hearing anything from them. I'm really not hearing anything from the NFL. And there was kind of a moment there where I was just like, all right, like, you know, I, I got I to gotta figure something out because what I'm doing, one, is not working, and two, I got to start providing for myself and my girlfriend here because I've been living off $10 for about three years now. Um, so I was, I was right there to just saying, you know what, I got to get a job or like a, a real job, big boy job. And, um, I kind of just have, it was a weird moment where I just kind of had to come into world, everything kind of, I was just like, you know what, you can't, you've come so far, you've come this far, like you can't like it, this isn't a way to just end your career like this. Cause it was kind of just on a weird note. And I was like, you know what, you're right. And about two weeks later, um, in January, that was when DC called me and they said, Hey, let's get you in for a workout and see what you're all about. We see your videos. We see, you know, we've heard from a couple different people. Like we want to see what you're all about and go in there. And I, you know, went 10 for 10 on field goals, did really well. And they signed me that day actually. And three days later, leave for Washington DC and played the uh, five games for the DC defenders with the XFL before we got shut down by uh, the coronavirus. But, and again, did about as well as I could there. Had an awesome time. XFL was, I was hoping it was going to be around for a while because again, that's just another thing. But yeah, that's kind of the uh, the up and down story right there. Man, so we're listening to this. And for all you guys out there that are hearing this, Tyler's story is unique. Like, he didn't quit. But there were many times where some would consider it like, okay, well, I tried my hardest. Oh, well, i got to go back. But what I love about it, what I admire about your story, Tyler, is the fact that you kept going. and You utilized those as opportunities. Like, all the tryouts yeah. of these professional teams – you took advantage of those. When you had those opportunities, you went there. Your name was getting there. It was floating around. You didn't know what yeah. was going to come of it, but you knew that you were networking. You were doing your job. Yeah. And you continued to put work in all the time so that when you had those opportunities, it's that whole, you know, stay ready, ain't got to get ready kind of thing. You were always no, getting exactly. your reps in. And I, and I really respect that about you guys. Like, this was a couple years process, right? So, Tyler, from the time of Boise State ending to the time that you played mm -hmm. in the XFL, how, how many years was that, that whole process? uh three and a half years guys three and a half years okay just take into consideration what you guys have done in three and a half years how many of you guys have tried things uh maybe it's an entrepreneurial journey maybe it's a sports career whatever and you've given up after six months because you've you've had a couple ups yeah. and downs and then give up yeah three and a half years tyler that's a pretty admirable thing to do like you you have continued to work towards your goals and you know on my show you there's a couple of talking points that you you mentioned there i made a mental note of them one was the cfl like just mm -hmm. for, the, for the average sports fan, just to keep in, in consideration, Tyler mentioned it here, they have certain amounts of American players they can bring onto their roster. It's not like it's a free-for-all where you get a ton of them. I've talked to a yeah. CFL guy before about his experience in the CFL. That's how it is. Like, they've got skilled players. They've got a certain amount of people they can bring on from the United States, and uh, they have to make decisions as, that way. So sometimes even the best American players, if that team doesn't need that specific position and they want to use that American player towards someone else, they'll use it. It's unfortunate. It's yeah. the same concept as basketball overseas. It's like not everybody gets to play basketball overseas, even though that, that sounds like an option because some teams have a limit on the, the uh, 
I guess what you call them, the foreigners, the, the U S guys coming over. So there's that, that you have to go up against. And then obviously yeah. we have all these other leagues that that's the coolest thing. Like when I brought this up on my, my podcast a couple of times, uh, CC Hockley and I, he was my co-host. We talked about complimentary versus competitive. And mm-hmm. I love seeing these things because you're living proof of how these, these different leagues, these different types of showcases, these different opportunities can benefit a player. The spring league, the AAF, even though you didn't have the experience in there that you probably wanted, but the AAF, even though it was short-lived, and the XFL, even though it was short-lived, these are providing guys with opportunities. And I've heard so many people yeah. hate on these things. Like, this isn't the same. The XFL is so dumb. It's not good. It's not good competition. I beg to differ. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought the competition was good. I thought the game was No, was there's good. a lot. Yeah. In the XFL, being there, and you got to play with Cardale Jones, have you? Like, that was one of my favorite players. I'm a Buckeyes fan, so I know it's crazy. I'm a Boise yeah. alum, but I'm a Buckeyes fan since I was in the second grade, third grade, yeah. fourth or whatever. So you got to play with some big-time talent. Like, there was good talent there. Europe being yeah. at the XFL, you know, you're in there. Everything was going on, like, well. Unfortunately, Corona hit. And when it's a startup league, everybody should understand this. Businesses struggle regardless of what it is. And it, you got to have – I mean, the XFL – was a good, well-produced league, in my opinion. Your experience with the XFL, what was it like? Did they treat you well like a professional while you were there? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was about as professional as it comes. Um, we, you know, they had a whole hotel that was, you know, rented out to us, and they fed us three times a day. Um, meeting rooms, uh, training rooms, uh, locker rooms, facilities. I mean, it was a whole nine yards that they – they went out above and beyond with for us. Um, and again, it was about as professional as it can be. And that was kind of the biggest thing with some of these guys. Cause we had guys on our team that, you know, our former first rounders who, uh, coming from big time schools, you know, like Cardell, um, who's one, he's the biggest goofball I've ever been around by the way. Um, but he, he's super good guy, but yeah, you know, that was kind of one thing that, you know, some of these guys said that it was, it was, more professional than they thought it would be you know everything was kind of well run there was no like loose ends and stuff like that nothing where you know they weren't telling us different stuff you know everything was laid out on the table we knew everything that was going on and that was kind of the big thing with some with some of the guys um on our team especially that they appreciated was everything was up front with us what was going on and what was you know what was going to happen and especially with the games too i mean the games were about as as clean as you can get it too i think there was only you know maybe one or two games that they had like a scuffle go on or something like that you know that happens it's a contact it's a violent sport stuff like that's gonna happen but with our with our games i mean they were about as clean as you know they could be and that was what made it really fun too and there was different aspects to the game that you know mixed it up enough to where it almost seemed like it was like a like a foreign game almost. Um, you know, between the kickoff, between the play clocks, between uh, what happens in different scenarios with penalties, uh, there was a lot that played into it that just made it a little bit different. And um, what they did with, like, the touchback rules especially, you know, that changes field position. So there's different strategies. You had guys going for fourth down, um, for it, on fourth down more. and it just made that more much more exciting. But the biggest thing was it gave guys like myself, guys who, you know, maybe didn't have the best opportunity in the NFL that got, you know, sent back or guys that just want to prove themselves again, like myself, gave us a, a chance to 
play at a more professional level than what's even provided, you know, but it's, it's almost like a minor league system, like with baseball, it's something that we need and the film we need to prove, to prove that, you know, we can do it at the highest level. Totally, man. One of the things I loved about watching your guys' games too was, and this was a big difference between the XFL and the AAF, in my opinion, was the crowds. They found ways to get those stadiums to have fans there. Granted, you can't always fill out a stadium. It's a new league. It's hard to do so, but they found ways to do that. DC, you guys had some cool fans. It was almost like a soccer stadium in my, well, it was, I mean, it was like a soccer crowd, if you will. And I, and I saw other ones like Seattle's had their, their fair share of people there. And it was just fun. They found ways to get crowds there to make it more exciting, more enticing. And then again, I, I love the fact that they, they made it complimentary. They were trying to make it into a, you know, a progression system so you can get those reps. Do you yeah. feel Tyler, uh, just being part of the whole thing? Do you feel had coronavirus not hit, do you feel it would have had a little more longevity in that, in that uh, regard and had more success? What are your personal opinions there? Oh, hundred percent. I think it, it would have went on for at least five more years. Um, I mean, I think, just between those five weeks, it generated so much buzz throughout the sports world that it was, it definitely had some feet underneath it through the five weeks. And you kind of saw at the end there too, only through five games, they were pretty much right there to be able to provide for us through the NFR contracts, everything like that. I mean, it just wasn't until the NFL kind of started announcing saying, Hey, we might push back into spring. Major League Baseball might even be talking about going into spring and different sports like that. Well, at that point, you know, when most of your money kind of depends on TV and stuff like that, that's going to hurt a professional league. And that was where I think he just he recognized that and he cut his losses. And there still could be another owner of it. I know they're going through the bankruptcy where they do bids and stuff for it. So it could possibly come back. That we don't know, but um, no, it was awesome, man. I I loved it, and I really do hope it comes back. Awesome. I was just gonna say that, like, one, as a football fan, for me personally, I love when guys get an opportunity to play the game that they love, right? So yeah, basketball has it, baseball has it, but the NFL like is the monopoly of football. I love the NFL, exactly. but like. It's very difficult, and we've seen it time and time again throughout the history, the USFL, the AAF. I mean, we've had so many leagues, and I think the difference with all those leagues is that they were competitive to the NFL rather than being complementary to the NFL, and that's where the XFL model was a tad different. They were kind of trying to make it that way where it was complementary, like let's get these guys the reps they need, and then when the contract's over, they can go with with you guys, but they were trying to to work a little thing there. Do you feel like, I mean, obviously the XFL, if they can make it back, um, depending, but do you think that it's possible in the United States with the NFL as the professional organization for football, do you think it's possible to have another professional league that's, that pays their players a, a livable wage to be complimentary and coexist with the NFL? Um, one, it would have to be, I think with the XFL model, you got to have it exciting. You got to have, you know, just different variables that make people want to watch it. And then two, I think the NFL does need to sponsor it. Um, if the NFL sponsors it, then they can go for however long they want to because that's a big thing. NFLs, they're the money makers or the breadwinners. Um, and I think with that, you know, you have guys who, you know, like PJ Walker who absolutely lit it up. And all of a sudden he's a guy now who he can go into Carolina competing for a spot, for a starting spot. Um, yeah, Teddy's there, but the things that, you know, PJ Walker displayed, 
are, you know, stuff that teams look at. They could even get some trade value out of him if something doesn't work out. But he's a guy that, you know, came out of there. And, and people, if you think about it, like with baseball, Mike Trout didn't just make it to the major leagues. He got called up um, mid-year with the Angels because somebody got hurt. He was even there. He got called up mid-year because somebody got hurt. So there was that minor league system could possibly even work with the NFL. And I think if people look at it like that, like, you know, Mike Trout, who can when he's done, will be arguably the best of all time. You know, he wasn't there right away. He had to go through a minor league system. Um, but that's, I think that's, the NFL has to sponsor it in order it, for it to be something that can go, you know, three plus years. Totally, man. And the last question I got for you in regards to the XFL model too, like I, I brought this up when the XFL was still going on and I would like to get a, an opinion of a player. So the NFL in, in that regard, there were like stipulations, like they, they wouldn't allow like practice players, practice squad players to go into the, like they, there were certain things in their contracts that wouldn't allow those guys to go into the XFL, that kind of thing. There was like a lot of, like just a lot of re regulations in regards to that. That's mm -hmm. why I was hoping we could see maybe some agreements work out with a, a, a league like this. But in your opinion, would you, you know, as a player, if you're on a practice squad in the NFL, would you rather be on a practice squad? Obviously, they get paid a decent wage if they can continue yeah. to stay on that practice squad. We know that. Um, or would you rather get the reps like you were getting if the XFL was a sustainable league and we knew that was going to have the longevity and we knew it was going, would you rather be a practice mm -hmm. squad player in the NFL or, you know, playing in the XFL, getting the reps that you need with the ability to be called up if necessary? Um, one, I think it did it would depend on how much you're getting paid to be on the practice squad. Obviously a lot of guys are different with how much they're getting paid. Um, some are getting paid, you know, a million and a half to just kind of be there on the practice squad. Some guys are getting paid bare minimum. And then two, it would be how much the XFL offers because uh, about 90% of us all got paid the same. And then there was that 10% of guys who were, um, you know, like the Cardells, the quarterbacks, and then different select guys who were on practice squads or guys who maybe just got cut at the end of the year and they didn't want to go through that whole thing. They just wanted to play. Um, so I think it just depends on all that, just the payment side of it. But two, maybe there's just guys who, again, that are kind of like me who believe in themselves that if they, they know they can go into a league like this and tear it up and – they can put up some numbers and all of a sudden people are like, all right, like, you know, he's still like that. Like we can go get a guy like that. Um, it just kind of depends on who, who you are and what you believe in with yourself and how much you're getting paid. I think those are kind of the variables there. Totally, man. And this has been an awesome interview, Tyler. And I apologize for going over the time. I just really appreciate your insight. So I oh, guess we'll, we'll allow you to close it off with this. So, it's, so you've yeah. had an ex exciting journey up until now. What's next for Tyler Rasa? Well, we are waiting for the uh, NFL facilities to open back up again because uh, that's where they're going to be having workouts. That's where they'll bring us in because there's been, you know, dialogue with different teams. It's at this point they want to work they want to work me out because they've seen me professionally. They want to see me in person now, you know, make sure that I can still do it. But, you know, the journey's not over, man. There's still goals I need to be met, and there's still a lot that I want to accomplish. So we're still going. Perfect, man. And where can we follow you to kind of follow your journey for the listeners that don't follow you already? 
Um, I'm kind of, I mean, I'm on all social media on Instagram. I am uh, good eats with a Z underscore R a U S. And then on Twitter, I am T underscore Rasa R a U S a. And then Facebook, Tyler Rasa. Um, don't really go on Facebook a whole lot, but Twitter and Instagram, I use a bunch and that's kind of where I put all my stuff. So baller, man. Appreciate you. I'll make sure to put those links in the description so you guys can see them and you can go follow Tyler on his journey as he's continuing to move forward. And uh, like you said, meet those goals that he's got. So again, we just want to say thank you, Tyler, for uh, joining the show. Yep. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And you guys know the drill. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. If you like this interview, make sure to share it with your friends and family. Anyone who's a fan of the sport of football, you know, kickers out there or anybody who's trying to accomplish their dreams and go along with the journey, make sure to share this story with them. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.